morning. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a returning guest, a very special guest. His name is Dr. Jerry Bergman. And we've done two shows this year, 2021. The first one was discussing one of his books. He's written 50 books. Uh, one of his books was The Dark Side of Darwin, A Critical Analysis of an Icon of Science. And you can go back and look at William Ramsey Investigates on July 5th, 2021. and Listen to that interview. I talk about some of his other books that he's written. And also in August 21st, 2021, we discussed Hitler and the Nazi Darwinian worldview, how the Nazi eugenic crusade for a superior race caused the greatest Holocaust in world history. Fascinating book, great book. But we're going to talk about another one of his books today. Title of that book, another fascinating book, is God and Eisenhower's Life, Military, Career, and Presidency, published 2019. And... Uh, goes into some of, some of the interesting background of Eisenhower and really the foundations of why he was a great military leader and president of the United States. So Dr. Jerry Bergman, are you there? I'm here, it's good to be. Awesome, well, thanks for agreeing to, thanks for agreeing to the interview. Um, for people who didn't hear the earlier two interviews that I've done with you, can you talk about your background and what led you to write this book, God in Eisenhower's Life? Well, I'm through, generations back related to Eisenhower. One of his brothers married someone in my family, Cronkite right. family, and as a result, uh, my mother's from Kansas, so as a result, I've always been interested in Eisenhower. So tried to follow his career and found out he had some uh, other similarities with me. Uh, religious background was, was there. <laughs> and related, Watchtower, so. right? So Watchtower and Eisenhower's one of six brothers. So, um, really an interesting family situation too. Yeah, it was. And I guess I became more and more interested as I did more and more research. And I found out there's a big gap in the knowledge out there about basically his uh, religious views. And so I did more and more research on this to try to find out what he believed and why. And then I found out that that's, these beliefs were central in what he did in, during World War II and also what he accomplished in World War II. And really many ways, it's believed that without his belief, <laughs> I got a cough or cough for some reason, oh, but without his belief, yeah, he but would he, not have been able to do what he did. Right, and he was very religious. I mean, you prove in the book with all your references that he was very religious and you had a fascinating preface by somebody who knew him well, General Andrew Goodpaster, who also encouraged right. you to write this book, correct? Right. Actually, I did a manuscript a while ago, and I sent it around to reviewers, tried to get some feedback, and one of the reviewers gave it to Andrew, and Andrew called me up on the phone at the college, and we talked for quite a while, and he was concerned that this needs to be published. He felt I was right on board with what was going on, and he felt this needs to get out there, and he agreed that his spiritual dimension was central in his life and what he did, and that was ignored. He strongly ignored there's one book that came out titled The Soul of an American President, An Untold Story of Dwight D. Eisenhower's Faith. And I just recently bought this and found he had basically one chapter about Eisenhower's faith, pretty much ignored most of what I wrote about. So my book's the only book out there that really covers this very important part of his life in, in great detail. Right. And you start right there at the beginning, Abilene, Kansas. Can you talk about the foundations, his parents, how he grew up, etc.? Well, he, he was a poor, a poor family, and is. <coughs> I can talk without coughing here. He was came from a very poor family, 
and he uh, was, uh, his father didn't do too well. He was a never, never do well, I guess you'd call him, but. <laughs> he was kind of, I think anyway. he worked at the same primary for like 40 years, right? He was kind of like a work, working class person at that time who had the same job his whole life. He did, and he also worked like 14, 15 hours a day, and he came home, and he was just exhausted. So the Eisenhower boys really didn't spend much time with their father because of the time he had to put in at work. And therefore, he was kind of an unknown entity. He was kind of short, I guess, with them because he did have to work so much. And uh, so he came from a working class background. And he said, I really didn't know what poverty was because everybody I knew was, was pretty poor. And so when he went to West Point, the reason he went to West Point was because that was the only way he could get an education. He realized that he could not afford to go. He could not make the money necessary by working. And so the only choice he had really was to go to West Point or Annapolis. And he decided he was able, well, he couldn't get into Annapolis because at that point he was, he was too old. So he ended up going to West Point. And right. And, and he, his dad like encouraged them to make money their own way, you know, try to scrap and, uh, but they were always around. I mean, the young kids, so it's like six kids and fighting and on the, from the other side of the track. So he had, he wasn't privileged. No, not at all. But he worked hard. He was bright. He loved history. And he used to read so much that his father and mother got upset at him and they hid his books because they thought you're supposed to be doing your chores and stop reading all these history books. So he would sneak in where the books were located and sneak some reading when he had chance to. So he valued history. He valued reading. He valued study. And that's why one reason he got into West Point was because he was a good student. He was bright. He knew his stuff well, and he also knew, of course, war because many of the history books covered this topic uh, quite in detail. And he uh, ended up in West Point. One of the most important things about that is his uh, mother and his family were pacifists. They're not actually pacifists. They were conscientious objectors. They were very opposed to war, strongly opposed to war. And so when he felt the only way he could get an education was to go to West Point, well, he went, got on a bus or train and off he went and his mother went home and cried. That was one of the worst days of her life. She could not understand why her son could go to West Point and be in the military. Now, of course, his interest was education and also he liked to play football. And so that's a good chance to play football. So there was quite an appeal really to West Point. Well, the main appeal was, was all paid for by the government and off he went and he really did not plan to have a career in the military, but it turned out that way for several reasons. Partly because after he graduated or close to when he was graduating, he met this young lady and that changed his life. And he realized he had to get a job. And the young lady was from a very wealthy family. Uh, Mamie, of course, was her name. And uh, Mamie's parents felt, you know, you're going to marry this man who's going to have a military career. He's, he can't support you the way that you deserve. And so she said, yes, she was going to marry him. She did. And one reason she did was because he then decided on a military career. It wasn't very lucrative then, but on the other hand, at least he was working. And really, back then, a graduate from West Point, I mean, what opportunities do you have? And so they were limited. Military, right. Military, yeah. And so he ended up, and they offer him a pretty good deal. And so they got married, and he ended up in the military. And then, of course, as he spent more time in the military, he realized that you know, the, the best choices 
pacifism is not fighting, but on the other hand, he often said he hated war as no one else could hate war because he saw it. But on the other hand, he hated the Nazis even more. And therefore he was determined to squash the Nazis because indeed he really felt visceral hate toward what they were doing. Primarily the ideas of racism, of course. They, Nazis felt that uh, uh, Jews were inferior, the, the Polish people, the Slavics were inferior, the Russians were inferior. And so they were very embedded in this idea of racial inferiority. And he, of course, was raised in the Bible. He, the family took turns reading the Bible. And uh, if you made a mistake, then somebody else got a chance to continue. So you really tried carefully to read, read the Bible during these family Bible hours. And so in many ways, he was raised in the Bible. And he accepted the idea that we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. Therefore, we're all brothers and sisters. Therefore, there is no inferior race. Therefore, this idea the Nazis had was totally, completely wrong. And that's why he fought so greatly against this and was determined to prevail in the war. He didn't do that well first, at first as a general, but he learned from his mistakes. He read a lot and therefore he did improve as time went on until it got to the point where he was really the best choice to be the Supreme Allied Commander in World War II, which is his post that he filled. Andrew Goodpaster, I should say, fulfilled that uh, post as well later on. So when Eisenhower left, then later on, Andrew Goodpaster became the Supreme Allied Commander. But of course, war the war is over. So I was, I guess, more of a bureaucratic uh, position. Can you talk about the kind of uh, life, the, the family life of the mother was anti-war too, because both of her parents died young due to the Civil War deprivations. Um, can you talk about the River Brethren and kind of uh, some of the Watchtower influence on his family? Okay, he was a River Brethren, which was, again, a very conservative religion that accepted the Bible pretty much as God's word, and also pacifist, and that was part of her influence, of course. And so when she was involved in the Watchtower, and back then it wasn't called Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, they were called Bible students. And so she became involved in a Bible student as a result of friends of hers. And as a result of this Bible student, they spent a lot of time, of course, reading the Bible. In fact, the Witnesses used to, back now we call them Witnesses, of course, but back then they're Bible students. The Bible students used to meet in the Eisenhower home. And therefore, uh, Dwight and his brothers were very exposed to this worldview as they were growing up. And they pretty much, especially Ike, pretty much kept this. I think Ike did more than his brothers because Ike saw the other side. Very vividly, he saw war. And therefore, he recognized the value of the spiritual aspect of one's life and his life, of course, especially. And his wife, of course, was a devout as well. So they meshed in that area. And therefore, they had something strongly in common, although his wife wasn't too thrilled with a lot of his assignments like Panama. She found that very difficult to deal with the heat, the bugs, the no air conditioning and, you know, one raised in a very <laughs> nice home and had right. all the amenities of wealth. She had a hard time adjusting, but she believed marriage is forever. I took a vow till death to his part, sickness and health, and therefore she stuck with him throughout an awful lot. And he like, likewise with her. They never owned a house. I thought that was pretty interesting. So I think they didn't own a house till Gettysburg after he retired or something like that, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and she was a Presbyterian. So he was influenced by the Presbyterianism, but both of his parents had, I mean, it was what, 
it was Russell and then Rutherford from the Bible thing. So we know them as Jehovah's Witnesses. But can you talk of some of the doctrines that influenced his parents and may have been something that he knew about, that Eisenhower knew about? Well, one doctrine which is interesting is this uh, Great Pyramid theology, where they believe the Great Pyramid, by measuring various aspects of it, would reveal information about the time of the end, about the end of this system of things and the return of Christ. And they studied that quite thoroughly. In fact, Eisenhower studied that, and he mentioned that pyramid later on when he was in the battles. And a lot of people thought that Eisenhower himself or his father came up with that, and he didn't. He got that idea from the Watchtower. He later on, by the way, left the Watchtower. He had a hard time with a number of their doctrines. He could read Greek, so he read the Bible in Greek. And so he didn't quite agree with some of their theology. But Ida, his mother, stuck to the worldview, the witness worldview, until she died. And even when Rutherford took over, she still stuck with the Watchtower worldview. And, right, and, and when Russell died in his tomb, he has this... The pyramid that's why it's there because he believed in not mysticism but he believed that the pyramid was legit even though it's not mentioned in the bible as a divining stone to determine the uh prophecies or anything right it's not in the bible it's not mentioned as something that will tell the time of the end days right it was called the bible in stone and they, that's true, it's outside, but on the other hand, they felt, well, if God revealed his word through the Bible, maybe he revealed his, revealed his word through the pyramids or other structures. But these ideas, by the way, were quite common among a number of people at that time. So the Bible students weren't the only one to pick up this idea. Many others did. So it's still, it's actually in certain fringe groups of Christianity today, they're still teaching that that pyramid is a way to tell time like it's a way to tell biblical time so i've if, seen it if you study it you realize it's quite amazing what they did and how they did it and what the pyramid reveals when you look at details of it for example the pyramid points at a specific star which was at a certain position when the pyramid was built and so there are a lot of things that make one wonder whether indeed this is was valid and whether or not it was inspired by god but of course it's uh, the, the scriptures don't con, con, condone that, but on the other hand, why not? You know, if there's a sign, maybe it's one of the signs from God, and maybe it'll tell us something. But it is quite amazing what they did and how they did it. And the dimensions of the pyramid really are quite amazing. Right. I mean, I think it's structured north-south, everything very, somebody put a lot of effort or the science, science of the time when they built up those pyramids. But wasn't Eisenhower... Uh, his real name was David Dwight. I think they inverted it, but wasn't he embarrassed kind of by his parents' watchtower views? I mean, it was always an element of political, it seemed like it was an element of political concern. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, he was, and he was because when Rutherford took over, then they began to develop some of these so-called so unorthodox ideas. And so the Bible students were not all that controversial. They were in some ways because they rejected certain doctrines like the Trinity and Hellfire, there were some differences, but on the other hand, there were other groups like the Seventh-day Adventist and the Second-day Adventist and other groups that accepted a lot of the same doctrines that the Bible students did. And so, uh, yeah, I think he was embarrassed with Rutherford. And a lot of the problems the Watchtower had came along with Rutherford. He was a very pugnacious guy. He was he was a part-time judge at one time and uh, he was a lawyer. And uh, he created a lot of controversy. And so I think 
Eisenhower was embarrassed over that. And of course, being part of the military, it was an issue as well. And he respected the military and realized that they were serving a very important function and that uh, his pacifist idea was idealistic, but, but not realistic when you have uh, enemies in the world like the Nazis. Right. And he had, uh, Eisenhower had still, he may not have totally uh, abandoned, he didn't abandon Christianity if he didn't agree with Watchtower. So he's, you write in your book, he still had that very dualistic, uh, you know, apocalyptic worldview still, right? Uh, yeah, he did. And he, uh, it's, it's interesting, his background influenced him throughout the rest of his life, which is true with many of us. And it probably influenced him in ways that he really wasn't that openly cognizant of. He, it was just a part of his background and part of the way he viewed the world. And I think after what he saw in World War II, he realized that, you know, a set of religious values, a set of Christian values is important. And of course, he became Presbyterian because his wife was, and he thought, well, that's, I don't really have anything against that church. I know his son wrote to me uh, not too long ago before he died, John Eisenhower. And he told me, his son, John, told me that uh, Dwight always enjoyed going to church because he learned something. And so he did go to church and enjoyed it. In fact, we visited the church in Gettysburg where he went to. And I talked with a pastor who knew him and said that this is where he sat. And he was always here and always uh, ready to be called out into service. They had a, a light in the back. When that light went on, that means Eisenhower needs to get up and answer the phone. And he did occasionally to deal with various concerns about his the government. Interesting. And I mean, that was an interesting aspect of himself and his family is that the idea of service and that all of his brothers were very successful in the world. Like they all were achievers, just like uh, Eisenhower, right? Yeah, they were all really achievers. I mean, they all did really, really well. I can't think of one who didn't do well. No matter what they went into, they did extremely well. Milton, for example, I think was president of uh, University of Kansas. John Hopkins, one of them was the president, like a like an Hopkins, Ivy League school, yeah. So they've done really quite well. So the the background they had, and again, the Eisenhower over and over said, "I credit what I've done so much to my mother." He really respected his mother more than anyone else besides his wife and his creator. And so that influence was enormous on him. So, right, even as a watchtower all the way till past his past World War II. And can you talk about the persecution of what we know as Jehovah's Witnesses now in the U.S. and in uh, Nazi Germany? Yeah, it's ironic in that they're persecuted in both countries, uh, both this country and Nazi Germany, for different reasons, though. They felt, and witnesses today feel the same way, that there's to be neutral in governmental affairs, that politics is corrupt, and you cannot help be corrupted when you're involved in politics, and therefore they felt you should be without spot from the world, as the scriptures say, and they tried to avoid any involvement that they could in the world, and that meant basically that you don't involve yourself in a lot of political things. One thing that came out, which was pretty important, was in Nazi Germany, they were requiring the witness, witnesses to salute Hitler. And so some witness in Germany wrote into Brooklyn and said, is it proper for a Jehovah's Witness to salute Hitler, give the Hitler salute? And the Watchtower ruled that was not proper. And then someone said, well, wait a minute, if it's not proper in Nazi Germany, is it proper in America? Isn't that the same thing? We salute the flag, they salute the German flag, they salute Hitler. So to be consistent, we should not salute the flag of any country. 
and that's what they ruled. And that's one reason that they got into so much trouble. And of course, Eisenhower was embarrassed about all that. So he tried to distance himself from, from those beliefs. But then again, he did not distance himself from the basic core of Watchtower theology, nor did he distance himself from his mother, who he enormously respected. Right. It was I a mean, conflict he had, but he dealt with it fairly well. And it was interesting. Something I learned was that the Watchtower, I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses, or whatever the Bible group, they were in tons of litigation. So they were always trying to fight their way in certain situations, at least through the courts. And I think you, somebody likened their persecution to the persecution of the Mormons. So I thought that was kind of an insight and a, a curious element to Eisenhower's story. And they went before the Supreme Court, I think around 25 times, and they prevailed in a large number of those. And of course, the law today relative to freedom of religion and speech and so on rely heavily upon the cases that they won before the Supreme Court. And they really had good cases because there was a lot of blatant persecution beating up and, and some were killed and so on. And the only reason was, of course, because they took this stand relative to the flag salute and the military, etc. And so the government felt, you know, this is just these generally peaceful people. They're not causing any problems. So they have this one problem, which is their relationship with the state. Why don't we just, you know, let them have the freedom and let, let's not worry about it. And then eventually is what they ruled. And of course, the ACU was very concerned about this. And so they fought very hard to help the witnesses uh, gain their rights and prevail in the court cases. And as a result, freedom basis laws are based heavily upon the Watchtower court decisions done actually many, many years ago. All right, it's really fascinating. And can you talk about kind of Eisenhower's uh, reliance upon his faith in his, in his really his, his military career and also the presidency? I mean, it was a really important component to his personality, right? It was extremely important. Probably the best example is when they were going to invade on D-Day and the weather just did not cooperate. And they felt we're all prepared. We have to. We have to make a decision. And they looked at the next few hours, and they thought it looks like we've got an opening here. It looks like we can invade. You can't invade in a, a thunderstorm. And so it looks like we've got an opening, but maybe not. And so his weather people said, "Well, it's a chance." And so he wrote two notes, basically one if they would have prevailed, another one if they would have failed. And the one that said, you know, one relative to their failing. He basically made it very clear, this is my fault, I made a mistake, and I take full responsibility for the failure. Well, it turned out, of course, they didn't fail, and they succeeded beyond what they expected to, and as a result, that was a very important turning point in the war, and that's why that event, D-Day, is so important today. And so he relied heavily upon God. He said, I prayed as I've never prayed before that we may prevail, and of course, they, they did, so that vindicated his faith that God indeed was not really on his side, but God was not on the side of the Nazis. So, right. And they said that, I think you said in the book, there was always a Bible by his side. So, I mean, you're seeing somebody very with, and what's remarkable about him too is his religious element, but he was a very deft politician. I was thinking like he must've learned something in his family with a bunch of boys or something, because he was very skilled in his personal life, dealing with all of these other characters in the war. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, he had. In fact, that's one reason he did so well is because he had good relations and skill, skill in dealing with other people. 
And of course, in many ways, war is a matter of dealing effectively with other people, your other generals, your, your soldiers, your men, and so on. And from what I've read, his men highly respected him throughout the entire war. It's not like what happened to Patton. Patton, of course, had a hard time dealing with just about everybody. And so therefore, uh, he was very effective in dealing with, with so many people. And that was, I think, a major one reason at least that he was appointed to the position he was because he was good with people and his generals supported him, his men supported him uh, very strongly. And so therefore those elements are very important and his generals realized that and that's why he was appointed to the position he was. Right, the Supreme Overlord or whatever. Good negotiations with Churchill, put Patton in his place. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, those are tough personalities to have to deal with. I mean, and so he takes the success in World War II, and how does that transfer to becoming the head, really, the Supreme Commander of the United States government? Well, if you look at the choices back then, there wasn't a lot. And of course, Eisenhower was popular, very well known, very well respected. And you want someone for president who's well known, people know who he was, who's highly respected, they had that who was successful. I mean, he won the war, won the greatest war in history. And so if you think about it, is there really a better choice among the alternatives? And there really wasn't. And as a result, he prevailed uh, in winning the election uh, twice, even though later on he had health problems, he still had a lot of support. Yeah, so he still pulls it off. He's still religious. He's, I mean, he's still Christian-based. And when both of his parents pass away, He's still a true believer in them. I mean, I think that the, the, what he wrote in the memorialization of his parents is very telling about uh, his outlook. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. He uh, influenced him and his father more, I think, as time went on, because he realized the difficulties his father had. I mean, his father worked to support the family, worked very hard, and you know, didn't have a lot of choice back then to work 12, 14 hours a day. And he had a relatively good position when you consider that many of the people from Abilene were farmers and lived by the skin of their teeth, so to speak, and surviving. It wasn't that a bad year, they didn't do so well. And so therefore his father did have a good job for most of his life and did work quite hard. And after a while, you know, you appreciate, I think most of us, when our parents are gone, we appreciate them more. We appreciate what they did for us. And he did later on as well. And therefore, and his father wasn't a bad person. He wasn't, you know, occasionally they, they got whipped. But on the other hand, I think they agree they deserved it. And so therefore, uh, they realized that, you know, all things being equal, he had good parents, a great mother and a good father. And therefore, he appreciated, especially when he had his own child, of course, his son. And he lost, you know, Iki, his first son, which was devastating for him. And therefore, he appreciated his son, although he didn't really re rear his son because he was often fighting the war and so on. And he didn't have much of a relationship with his son, uh, John. And John felt bad about that, but you know, what can you do when your dad is winning a war, the most important war in history, what can you do? And so John, from my correspondence with him, respected enormously his father. But on the other hand, he felt he really didn't have a father during much of his life because he was gone. Oh, it's almost like it, it was intergenerational from his dad then to himself having to do these duties right to his son. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. And I mean, would you agree? I think in the foreword, it says Dwight Eisenhower was the most religious president of the 20th century. Do you think that that's true? 
I would say he was, although he said, I don't wear my religion on my sleeve. I don't go around telling people I'm religious. In looking at his behavior and what he did and why he did what he did, that's very clear that he had a deep-seated religious faith in the Judeo-Christian worldview. And therefore, uh, although he, he realized he just, he realized that he proselytized through his behavior, not through his words. And he tried to affect people through his behavior and not by what he had to say. And some people are so good in saying things, but not so good in doing things. And therefore, he wanted to be one of these people who lived his faith and people knew it. And they did. Events happened like, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think you're right. And he, he was, he's kind of a paradoxical figure because he's a military guy saying, I don't want to have anything to do with military. He kind of had that pacifistic outlook, just like his parents too. Yeah, he did. And he uh, wanted to end the war. And one way of ending the war was winning quickly. And this is one reason why he cooperated with the Russians. He said, well, we don't, I don't appreciate what the Russians are doing. But on the other hand, my you know, I have to work with those. And he felt correctly that if the Russians were involved in the war, it would really facilitate us winning the war much, much faster. And so therefore he worked for the Russians, even though people felt that he shouldn't. And he later on realized that, you know, you have to. Right. He was friends with Zukov. I mean, there's a picture, I think, in your book of those two together, which is interesting because Patton had a completely different worldview. So you see that pacifism, peaceful, non-con, now he wasn't. He didn't seem to have those bristly ridges like some other people, egotists would have, which I think uh, distinguished him from a lot of other people. But yeah, really a fascinating person, Dwight Eisenhower. And also, I mean, I think in his presidency, he was trying to avoid war, and then he leaves the famous warning about the military-industrial complex, which he was part of, right? Yeah, he was, and he realized that. He realized that the um, industrial complex made a lot of money off of not only us. America, but also Germany. And so therefore, they were selling Ford trucks is, of course, the best example. We had a lot of our trucks used in the war were Ford trucks. A lot of the trucks that Hitler used were Ford trucks. In fact, Hitler's and his men like Ford trucks. They like, well, they like Ford, Henry Ford himself as well. But uh, there's so many companies sold to both sides. And that's why he came up with his expression, the military industrial complex, that war is good for them because they sell war equipment to both sides. Right. It's make money off both sides. It's incredible. I mean, where's the best place for people to obtain this book? The title is, again, God and Eisenhower's Life. Oh, on Amazon, you can buy copies and you can buy copies, copies on Barnes and & Noble. And almost any bookstore should have copies. And uh, do you have social media or a website if people want to reach out to you? Uh, well, I, I, do a, I do a lot of posting on websites, but I don't have my own, own website. Gotcha. But uh, people can look up Dr. Jerry Bergman, right? Uh, probably through your publisher. It's probably. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, really fascinating book. I learned a lot about the, uh, Eisenhower. I didn't know about this book. Again, the title is God and Eisenhower's Life, Military Career and Presidency, published 2019 by Dr. Jerry Bergman, a, a relative of Eisenhower. Thanks so much, Dr. Bergman. Okay. Thanks, you. Thank you. It's good Thank to you. be here. Yeah. Good to talk with you again. I think, I think we're talking again soon in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we are. All right. All right. Hold on. I'm going to stop the recording.